Marvelites. You're listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale February 2nd, 2022. Ooh, that's 2 2 22. I like that. I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. Yeah. Jasmine, how was your weekend? How you been? Pretty good. I spent the majority of my weekend just relaxing, recharging, but then. I decided to open up the dating apps again mm-hmm. uh, after retiring them for a minute because dating is exhausting <laughs> and uh, went on a couple dates. Nice. Online dating is how I met my wife, Elizabeth. But this oh, really? is we met in 2007 on OkCupid, which I'm not sure is even oh, a whoa. thing still. So what you guys do for your first date? Well, we went to we went to meet for coffee and we okay. had a great time, and then we went and had dinner, and we kept the date going for quite a long time. See, that's the best. Yeah, how did your date um, go? It was good. I, I went to a barcade, uh, which had some OG games. Like, we're talking Mortal Kombat 2, which is my favorite, and Marvel vs. Capcom 2, which is yes. uh, was perfect. Yes. Um, but it was funny because I've never gone on a date with someone who was as competitive and good <laughs> at video games as me. Um. And so it was really embarrassing when I walked in and like geeked out over MK2 and she just spanked me. Like yeah. she kicked my butt multiple times. There's a lot of directions I can go with this conversation, but hey, this is not just a podcast <laughs> about dating and video games. This is actually Marvel's official podcast about Marvel comics, where we run you through every new Marvel comic available this week. We're going to tell you all about the books uh, that are in your comic shops and on the Marvel app. And we're going to give you three picks, some great books to talk about. We're going to give out some awards to a bunch of other books. Uh, We have some new Infinity Comics, the cool scrolling comics available in Marvel Unlimited. And we're even going to have a raucous reading club where we dive into a comic book that you can read on Marvel Unlimited. Jasmine, what is our book this week and who is our guest? Yes, we're going to be talking about Daughters of the Dragon with Jed McKay. It was a Marvel Digital original and then eventually made its way over to a trade paperback as a graphic novel, which is beautiful, gorgeous. And yeah, we're going to be talking to Jed McKay about that book, which was his first ongoing at Marvel. So that's exciting. Yeah. And it's friggin' rad as hell. I hope everybody goes and reads it. Um, But before we get into that, we've got the new books out this week. We've got three picks. I'm going to kick things off with one where a whole lot of stuff happens. A whole lot of callbacks are brought up and it's awesome. We are going to start our picks off with Fantastic Four Reckoning War Alpha number one. It is written by Dan Slott, art by, look at this, Carlos Pacheco, Rafael Fonteras, and Carlos Magno. My God. Colors by Guru EFX and letters by VC's Joe Caramagna. This is a story legitimately 15-ish, maybe more years in the making. There is an editorial note within this issue that points you back to the pages of She-Hulk from 2005. So we are looking at 16 to 17 years old where Dan Slott was seeding this reckoning war all the way back then. And I've, I remember this and I remember seeing this and maybe even goes back further. I can't recall hundred percent, but I remember reading this thinking, well, what's the reckoning war? And I think I asked Dan about it at one point because I've known him a long time. And he said, mm-hmm. it's a story I'm going to tell one day. 
and <laughs> he knew he was going to tell it. Now is the time for it to be told. It involves the race of the Watchers, Uatu and his other folks who are one of the oldest races in the known universe, along with some folks who were on the other side of a conflict and a situation with the Watchers. I don't want to give away too much, but there is a reckoning, hence the reckoning war, that is coming <laughs> to bear in this storyline. And it is a big honking Marvel Universe event. And we get Dan Slott writing, obviously, the Fantastic Four, but She-Hulk, members of the TVA, Nick Fury, Silver Surfer. And then there's something in here that, Jasmine, you and I were talking about when we were I lost recording. It. And I was, <laughs> we were like, well, damn. There's a big swing in here, and I'm excited to see how it affects the rest of the Marvel Universe. I'm excited to see how Reckoning War uh, reverberates throughout our comics. And it's, I, I legitimately love the issue. I, Dan is one of my favorite writers. It, uh, it feels like a big Marvel Universe cosmic event story with, at the core, you've got the Fantastic Four. And it's great. Really great. Super excited to see how this plays out. Next up is my pick, Spider-Woman number 19, and it's written by Carla Pacheco with art from Perry Perez, colors by Frank D'Armada, and letters by VC's Travis Lanham. Spider-Woman's always been one of my favorite characters, and one of my favorite stories that involved her was Secret Invasion. So to see her pinned up against the Skrull Queen Varenki and having her step in and, again, like shapeshift into Spider-Woman was probably one of my favorite things to see. This is a great callback. There's a lot of stuff that goes on here, including how the Skrull Queen manipulates Spider-Woman mid-fight, pretending to be different people, and Ooh. each one of them is just a gut punch. And as much as I loved seeing it, it was just like, oh yeah, these are deep wounds and scars that Spider-Woman has, and like Frankie's taking advantage of them here. And they are brutal, including one that is very related to Jessica Drew's current uh, lineage. And that one made me like, that one hurt. Like I was like, that's not fair. You can't pull that one. But she did anyway, she's playing dirty. But like I said, Carla's just killing this. I love the lore that she's building and expanding on. And I can't wait to see more from her. It's got such a good final page too, that like, yes. here's where we're going next issue. Get on, you know, get in the car losers. This is just the best ride. It, I would. I wonder how many issues of Spider Woman we've we've chosen over the last you know year and a half. It's got to be At like five over fifty percent. Yeah. Over fifty percent of them it, have been a pick of the week. Wouldn't doubt it. It is consistently such a great book. Um, Perry's art and just all the the sound effects. You have to look at the sound effects. Read the sound effects for the words that they use because it's laugh out loud funny. It's a tremendous book. I'm very excited by it. I want everybody to be reading Spider-Woman. I also want everybody to read Sabretooth. The first issue of a new Sabretooth series is out this week. It is written by Victor Laval, art by Leonard Kirk, colors by Rain Barreto, and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. The first words in this issue, on the first page, just big splash page, I am in hell. And it, it goes and flashes back to the early days of the Kirkoan era, when the Quiet Council was casting sentence on Sabretooth because he had killed some people and they were basically saying, we have rules. You do not kill humans 
And so if you do, you go in the pit. And so it's this deliberation. You get to see this whole event from Victor Creed, aka Sabretooth. We see it from his point of view. I love, love Victor Laval's captions and the way he uh, writes Sabretooth. And there's this page with four panels looking at the members of the Quiet Council. Yes, I was about to say that. So good. You got Xavier, Magneto, and Apocalypse. And he says, look at these clowns. How does Xavier even see out of that helmet? And Magneto passing judgment on anyone is a laugh. I admit, I've always liked Purple Thunder's style. He calls (laughs) Apocalypse Purple Thunder. It's just absolutely great. And then we, we get into sort of seeing where he goes. And this moment of Sabretooth, you know, screaming and yelling at them, saying, no prison can hold me. I'll be free before you even notice. And then credits. And then boom, we find Sabretooth sitting in his cozy flannel and the caption told you. Hell yeah. I like, I love it. I love it. This is, it's awesome. Also, it is a brutal issue. There's so many scenes where I like, my jaw literally dropped and I was like, I had to stop reading and just show someone. Yeah. Uh, One of the things I love about the Krakoan era is that we have resurrection, right? So mutants can die and potentially get resurrected. And here we've got Nightcrawler, Cyclops, Marvel Girl, Wolverine, and Storm come to get Sabretooth back because he's escaped the pit. And then you get a fight, but Sabretooth slashes cyclops's face open yes and i like literally mean he's he he rips off cyclops's face takes his head and uses it to blast the other x-men it is beautiful in its horror it is a just a tremendous tremendous situation and what happens to him i will not i will not spoil what happens to Sabretooth there but wow wow yeah. wow wow it was it was brutal but i also i, I want to keep a body count oh yeah in this book as we continue going. And I currently counted 18, 18 bodies in this issue alone. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, anybody out there, tweet at me, send us an email, but I I got 18 in this issue alone. Yeah. There's some really neat stuff going on in here. Victor Laval, man, coming out, throwing bows, doing some excellent, excellent work. All right. That's it for our trio of picks this week, but we do have 16 more issues to talk about and give out some awards. Jasmine, you came up with our award for this week. What is it? The Phalanges on Fire Award of Excellence. And it's a name that's derived from one of our books this week, Excellent, number one. So that's the Phalanges on Fire Award of X-Excellence that we'll be giving out this week for some of our comics. All right. We're going to get to that book a little bit later, but first up, let's start with Alien number nine. Gnarly, gnarly stuff in here. I'm very much enjoying the Alien comics that we are doing these days, Uh, but I will say I'm going to give my Phalanges on Fire Award of Excellence to the variant cover by Raza, who continuously just destroys me with his variant covers, but there's a cover in here that Raza does using waterfalls and crawling xenomorphs that I keep going back to and looking at and being like, this should be a poster. This should be a movie poster. Hell yeah. So good. Next up, we have Amazing Spider-Man number 88. And she's finally here, guys. The Goblin Queen. I was so hyped when they first announced it. I was excited to see what they were going to do, where she came from, who she was. And this book answers a lot of those questions. Goblin Queen has an amazing debut just wrecking all sorts of havoc. 
So I will be giving my Phalanges on Fire Award of Excellence to the Goblin Queen. Nice. Uh, we've got Avengers Tech on number six out this week, wrapping up this limited series. Um, I will give my Phalanges on Fire Award of Excellence to the battle between Black Panther and Red Skull. Because look, who's going to win that one? Next up, we have Black Panther Legends number three. If you're looking to get a better grasp on Black Panther, if you want to learn more about his history, this is a book for you. I've always been a big fan of the Hatu Zaraze. And this book starts to explore some of that background, and I really appreciated it. So I will be giving my POFAX to the Hatut Zaraze. You came up with the award, and you can't even be bothered to say it every single time. POFAX is pretty cool, though. That's mostly why. And POFAX is cool. Yeah. I'll give it that. And if you like Black Panther Legends, shout out to Tochi Anabuchi, who will be writing a new Captain America series for us this year. You can check out all the info on that on Marvel.com or check out a recent episode of This Week in Marvel where we talked about it. We've got Daredevil Woman Without Fear number two out this week. There's so much I want to give, but I like... I think I want to give my Phalanges on Fire Award of Excellence to just the how sexy this book is at times. Not in like... There's no nudity. There's no like explicitness. It's but tasteful. It's tasteful. Very well said, Jasmine. You get to see Elektra fight Craven, the hunter, this issue. Yeah. So... If you need a reason more than like, you know, people getting down, then it's even better. It's a dope fight. Yes. And if you want to read more dope fights, Kazar, Lord of the Savage Land, number five is our next book. And I want to give my Phalanges on Fire Award of Excellence to Zach Thompson, who not only tells an incredible Kazar story, but also like setting up the groundwork for more Kazar stories to come. Really excited to see what happens next. Uh, I know this is the last issue of this mini, but there's some new things that happened to Kazar. I mean, if you read the last issue, Kazar was um, beheaded. So you're kind of wondering, like, what's going to happen? <laughs> and it, it is awesome. The art in here is amazing as well. That's Herman Garcia and Alvaro Lopez, who uh, just do some fantastic and like also like very gross art. Oh, it, it's like... It's so gross yes. in the best way. Yes, in the best way. Like, they somehow incorporate flowers and still make it gross but also kind of pretty it's it's great the art is amazing i love it and i'm really excited to see what happens next to kazar in the marvel universe not just kazar the savage land savage land has been you know one of those cool places in the marvel universe and this is this adds uh, some new stuff to it which i think is is real neat yeah all right we've got issue eight of the marvels out this week and i will give my phalanges on fire award of excellence to uh, the origin story in here for Warbird. And I won't say too much, although we learn that her parents are a mix of Wakandan and Shi'ar. Hell yeah. Which is real cool. I don't think we've seen that before anywhere else in Marvel Comics. And seeing her story and where how she got into this big mess with all these other heroes and villains and characters is, is real neat. Uh, also, bonus... Agent Melinda May Ooh. is up in here, one of the uh, agents of Shields. She shows up, which is super, super cool. It's real fun. If you want to like a wide variety of Marvel characters to check out, this is definitely a book to do. Next up, we have The Thing, issue number four. And if you've been following along the story, it's been exploring uh, some previous history of The Thing. It's not necessarily in, in our current continuity. It goes back to some of the classic era of the Fantastic Four. And if you're a big Fantastic Four fan like I am, you're going to want to eat all of this up. And I want to give my Phalanges on Fire Award 
to one of these pages in this book that is drawn by Tom Riley and colored by Jordi Belair. And it's this incredible splash page that is what's happening on the page is like they're being transported to a new location, but it's an interesting way to kind of depict that. It's kind of shaping the space around the characters uh, as they're all sitting at a table eating breakfast. It's like a rainbow spectrum that, that covers the entire page and the way it's broken down and like, it's a very creative way to break the pages up and create these smaller panels around them while still maintaining what's going on in that particular moment. All right, we've got Savage Spider-Man number one, nearly one of my picks this week because this is just a gnarly, gnarly book. If you have arachnophobia, though, I will say you may want to skip this issue because this follows a Spider-Man who is pretty much infected and full on a giant Spider-Man full of many legs. He's very much a savage Spider-Man. And it's just, you're following this, this messed up Spider-Man and Gerardo Sandoval comes in here and I love it when he gets to do monsters and creatures and big hulking, nasty things. And Joe Kelly writes all that in here lets him rip loose. It's a lot of fun. It is a big, brutal, weird, dark, creepy, savage Spider-Man issue. Um, I yeah. yeah, I really dug this first issue. Next up, we have Shang-Chi number eight. And you and I were both talking about this, Brian, uh, before we recorded. But we were saying that this book has just been consistent and it's just been hit after hit after hit. This particular story is a conclusion to what the last issue brought in and kind of explores some of the origin that Shang-Chi's had in the past or like where Shang-Chi comes from in the current uh, Marvel Universe, particularly the back history between the relationship that his mother and father had with Ta Lo. And I, I believe last week when we talked to Ben Percy and Josh Kassara about 10 Lives of Wolverine, he said it best. When people go back to retelling some of these stories, at worst, they're karaoke, or in best case scenario, they become the new status quo. They become the new basis. And I feel like that's what this is. What Jean Luen Yang is doing here is he's going back and he's retelling some of these moments, but he's adding the details. He's, he's you know, really fleshing out where these characters come from. He's building out the lore, and I'm excited to see what he does with this foundation. So he gets my Phalanges on Fire Award of Excellence this week. All right, up next, we are getting into three Star Wars books. We have Star Wars Crimson Reign number two, this one following two assassins hired by Kira of the uh, Crimson Dawn to go do assassiny type things. I will give my Phalanges on Fire Award of Excellence to the 10 targets who are waylaid by one of the assassins because this story actually gives us insight and maybe it's done before, but I've never read it or seen it uh, into the lives of the emperor's Royal guard um, when they're not in their super cool red outfits, but you get to see them before they like put on their robes and go hang out in the emperor's throne room, which is something I've never seen before. And I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah. Speaking of things never seen before in star Wars, Halcyon Legacy number one. Uh, it's the next book that we're going to be talking about. But in this book, we we get to explore some of the High Republic story backstory. But it's also part of the Walt Disney World Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser Hotel, and so it ties in some of the backstory there. 
And it's, it's it's fascinating because we get to see this new world, we get to see these new characters, and I really love the relationship between the Jedi Master and Padawan in this book. The relationship is sweet, it's great. I love how they tie in two different stories here, and they're both really much about family and relationships between different generations, um, which is something that I feel like Star Wars tends to be for a lot of people. Hell yeah. All right, we've got another Star Wars book. It's Star Wars, The High Republic, number 14. Um, in this one, it sort of wraps up this one big story with the, the Nile that has been going on, but it, it leads us right into a whole other situation. I will give my Phalanges on Fire Award of Excellence to the the Jedi of it all. Like the Jedi, there's conversations and there's struggles and there's, you know, fighting emotions but being emotional about it that like struggle of what it is to be a jedi i think is portrayed pretty coolly in this issue next up we have 10 lies of wolverine number two and man this book is wild i i can't get enough of it i would have picked it but we were trying to diversify our portfolio if i could give this book two awards i would give it two awards you know what let's give it two awards i know we were talking about tastefulness in this one we get naked wolverine and Mm -hmm. This whole story has been exploring Wolverine's past. And one of the moments in this is with his wife, Itsu, um, and they go to Jasmine Falls, Japan, which it's got to be an amazing place if it's called that. And it's a, it's a sweet moment because he's on this mission and he wants to stop and enjoy this moment uh, that he's spending with his former wife, former lover in bed. Um, but yeah, if you look closely, I feel like he's the little spoon in this situation, right? <laughs> he's definitely yeah. a little spoon in this situation. And I think that's adorable and I love it. So Josh Kassara gets my Phalanges on Fire Award of Excellence for giving me that. That's so good, everybody. Little Spoon wow. Wolverine. I'm pretty sure that's the fourth life of Wolverine. <laughs> little Spoon Wolverine. That should be a little golden book, Little Spoon Wolverine. I love it. We'll, we'll figure out who we can pitch this to later. We have two more books to talk about, including Excellent Number One. It brings back the team of uh, that created X-Force and Ecstatic. You may have heard us talk about those books previously here on Marvel's Pull List. If you haven't, go back into the feed, check out that episode. So we get the team back in here, bringing back some of the original characters, bringing back some of the original characters kids tying up some threads opening up a whole bunch of new threads but it it sets these characters these sort of fame crazed uh superheroes who can die at any moment in uh, the the social media world so it really plays with a lot of satire around social media fame celebrity in this current time we're in which feels so different from even just the 20 years ago Mm -hmm. um so definitely it's it's real neat to compare how the two reflected celebrity and fame a lot of things are the same a lot of things are different but i will give my phalanges on fire award of excellence to there's a scene in here in which one of the t there's two teams in here one of the teams um has done a, a reenactment of a battle that they had and they use like fake versions of the other team. And if you look closely, have you ever seen Spaceballs? Yeah. The part where they have their stunt doubles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like looking at the the stunt doubles for the um the ecstatics-ish team. I mean, I cracked up. I cracked up. I had to look at all the They're like the knockoffs. They're, yeah, they're slight yeah, they're slight knockoffs. It's so good. That part cracked me up. It was really good. Next issue that we're going to be talking about is X-Men Legends number 11. And this book is written by Louis Simonson and drawn by Walt Simonson. And honestly, enough said. Like those two together, married together in a book, 
is my favorite combination. Um, and they're telling a classic X-Men story with the new mutants. And they bring back one of my favorite Morlocks, Chicken Wings. So I, I really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a great classic look back. It's a huge nostalgia trip. Also, we get a Danny Moonstar as Psyche. And she is so sassy in this book. I forgot uh, how sassy she used to be. <laughs> yeah. And I loved it. Hell yeah. Yeah. Right on. All right. Those are all the new books this week, but we still have more for you. You want more new stuff? How about some new Infinity Comics you can read exclusively on Marvel Unlimited, uh, including Life of Wolverine number three, the third part in the chronological look at Wolverine's life that is going side by side with 10 Lives and X Deaths. We have Spine Tingling Spider-Man number eight, X-Men Unlimited, Infinity Comic number 20, and Spider-Bot number nine. We also have a couple of books coming to collections this week, including Captain America Truth, which this book has been out of print as a collection for so long. It is a must have if you are, I was going to say Captain America fan, but a Marvel fan in general. This is a classic Marvel story. Also on this list is Moon Knight by Bendis and Malieve, the complete collection, which I have had pre-ordered for the longest because I am excited. I love this run. This was the run that introduced me to Moon Knight. So very excited for that. Lots of good stuff there. Speaking of great comics, we are talking about Daughters of the Dragon with Jed McKay. Daughters of the Dragon, if you don't know, it's Colleen Wing, Misty Knight. They're best friends. They fight together. They joke together. They rib each other. They have adventures. They are the best. And um, we, we were very excited to talk to writer Jed McKay about this and so much more. We embark on a bold new era here on Marvel's Pull List with a wonderful guest uh, because Jasmine and I are joined by Jed McKay to talk about Daughters of the Dragon Deep Cuts. Jed, how's it going? Uh, very well. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on. Very excited by this. I, I'm looking right now. I wanted to share with you and our listeners what I wrote to our group Slack channel about this book in my reread. I wrote, Jed's Daughters of the Dragon book may have gotten even better over time. It's a book that, you know, like you go back and look at things you did in the past, you know, whatever it is you're creating, but it's still a book that I go back to and, you know, I'm never, I'm never embarrassed by it. I'm like, you know, there's a lot of really dumb stuff in it, but that's by design. You know, it's, it's meant to be, you know, fast and loud and exciting. And I think it still holds up for that. You say dumb stuff, but to me, it invokes a spirit of of like kung fu movies and black exploitation and 70s like action cinema in a way that then merges with some 80s action movies but all in like a great comic book format and i think the you say dumb but i think it's just fun and it's it's uh yeah. not saying that in any sort of negative connotation it's like it is what i want sometimes i just want a damn fun comic book and it is fun as hell uh yeah but i mean dumb and fun go hand in hand uh i find quite frequently uh you know i was, I was thinking the other day i'm just driving somewhere and trying to you know think about things i've been working on and i kind of come, came to the conclusion that in a lot of the books that i write characters are kind of their dumbest selves uh, for the sake of being entertaining or because you know pe people make mistakes uh you know people trip over things people uh you know bicker with one another and I was kind of trying to figure out where that sort of comes from. Cause like, you, you know, even in Moon Knight, which is largely, you know, a, a fairly serious grim book, you have people being a bit silly around the edges when it's not necessarily appropriate, but it's just something I, something I like in a book. Cause I mean, this was my first series that I did. 
you know, not just for Marvel, but like full stop. Can you tell us how you got to this? So I've done basically kind of a, you know, a couple of pages here, a couple of pages there for Marvel since like 2010. But it wasn't until 2018 that I started to you know, get a little more work. So Nick Lowe, Spider-Man editor, asked me to come in and write um, Edge Spider-Geddon number one, which was the like the Hobie Brown Punk Spider-Man. And that was like the, the first full issue I'd written. And after that came out, I emailed Nick. So, you know, I had a lot of fun doing this. I'd love to work some more with you. And uh, if you have anything that you think would suit. He said, well, I have this Daughters of the Dragon series. Um, you know, it's going to be digital only uh, until trade, obviously. And um, he said, the, you know, people had lined up for it. It just didn't work out. And I need something turned around quickly. You know, is that something you can do? And, you know, I was really excited because, you know, Daughters of the Dragon was my first Marvel job. It was like a Dazzler Daughters, Daughters of the Dragon team up that myself and Sheldon Bella did back in 2010. So I was super excited. And, uh, you know, I did my outline for six issues. And I sent it into Nick and it's like, no, no, this is, this is too slow because the, you know, if, if we get into it, like the first, the first two issues are the, uh, you know, the Bunraku story that was originally going to be the whole series. He's like, you get, you have this blocked out for six issues. You can do this in two issues. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. So that was, you know, an important lesson in, in pacing, you know, from the get-go. But I was like, oh, you know, this will be six issues. He's like, no, make it two issues then come up with another two-issue arc and then another two-issue arc. Uh, so yeah, that was a real, a real learning experience and you know, me benefiting from Nick's experience in the industry and his, his expertise and how to get a story going and how to keep people interested. Do you remember what comic shop you went to as a kid? Where'd you grow up and, and what were you reading back in the day? I mean, the comic shop that I went to the most when I was a kid would have been uh, Comic Hunter in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. I also used to buy comics a lot at uh, the No Longer Extant Abway Books in Kensington, PEI, because that's where I went to high school. So, you know, you could walk down and get books and come back. But yeah, Comic Hunter was, you know, the one that's still around. So it's always fun to kind of like go back and, uh, you know, do a signing there or, you know, stop in and buy some books. Doing that at the store you came up at is, uh, is always exciting. That's so cool. Yeah. Do you remember what you were like really were reading back in those days? I mean, honestly, in the 90s, I wasn't really reading that many 90s comics. Uh, I came up reading 70s comics. My dad has, or had, I have them now, um, you know, these great big boxes of comics he collected when, through the 70s. Because the thing is, when I was a kid, to get new comics, you would have to pay money to buy them. And my parents would be like, no, I'm not going to give you money to buy new comics. We have comics at home. <laughs> and so I came up reading like, you know, 20 year out of date comics. And that's kind of where a lot of my stuff is informed from or informed by, excuse me, by reading you know, old comics. I'd come up on reading um, you know, the Roy Thomas, Barry Smith, Conan. You know, Doug mentioned uh, Paul Glacey on Master of Kung Fu, which was a big influence on Daughters of the Dragon, the, the Starlin Warlock stuff. Yeah, just you know, kind of, the, kind of the whole gamut. I was, I'm glad you brought up Masters of Kung Fu because in this book, Daughters of yep. the Dragon, one of the books that are cited is Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, issue 33 which I have, and I looked it up and I was just like quickly dug for it, found it. it was a, it's another like Daughters of the Dragon story. Yeah. Where'd that come from? Was that something that you were reading before? Like, did you recall that? And you were like, I'm going to bring it up in this book or? No, actually that was, uh, that was just all, all research. That was from um, oh, you know, wow. the, the internet telling me, you know, what kind of history I could dig up here. And, you know, you had, you know, this email that Sean character who appeared once and was kind of almost like one of their first villains, given that like, was that the first Daughters of the Dragon story, like solo story? I think it was 
the second one. Right. So it was like real early in their career. Yeah. I thought, well, let's let's just kind of go right back to the beginning. This was really early in my career. At this point in time, I thought that every book I was going to get was going to be my last. So uh, I just kind of wanted to go as as gonzo as I could uh, on them, which is why you know Daughters is pretty packed with stuff. And we're like, well, if I have one chance at doing this book, I'm going to you know call back to like their first nemesis and like bring that right bring that all the way back. Was there ever anything that like Nick was like, no, no, this is too far. You can't do this. Or like, this is too much here. No, not really. Like basically once I got that kind of first wake up call, because that was just at the outline stage. The first two issues, I thought, you know, what, what do I like? What's interesting? And uh, you know, I was very into that Thomas Pynchon, weird uh, California kind of thing up in Topanga Canyon with like uh, biker henchmen and like weird gurus. Second uh, arc was the, uh, the super spy one, so all the super spy stuff, you know, the old Nick Fury, Stranko stuff, you know, Master of Kung Fu. And then the third arc was basically as many Master of Kung Fu villains as I could put in a prisoner-esque <laughs> scenario. So I basically went through the list of all the Master of Kung Fu villains who were still more or less alive, just threw them all on a boat. That said, it was embarrassing when um, one eye Carter, Super Midnight, He's like, you know, the, the black former CIA agent. He's got an eye patch. He's like a world champion kickboxer. Yeah, Rufus Super Midnight Carter. I put him in there and, you know, I was very pleased. And I think the, the art had come in, inks had come in, colors had come in. I think we got past lettering. It had gone to print. And I was eating lunch with my wife when I realized that I had forgotten that Rufus Carter only had one eye. So, so <laughs> in, that, in those two issues, he was drawn with two eyes. When one of his nicknames is Rufus One Eye Carter, I was, I was like, "Oh man!" I was like, "Do you think anyone's going to notice?" My wife's like, "Are you serious? Is this a popular character?" I'm like, "Absolutely not." She's like, "I think you'll be fine." Did anybody notice? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, I want to get into the LA of it all um, and everything else, but I also want to make sure we give in, give out some credits here uh, because obviously Jed, oh, yeah, you of course. are the the writer of this series. We've talked about the um, editorial team. Um, but, uh, on pencils for issues one, two, and five and six is the almighty travel foreman, uh, issues three and four done amazingly by Joey Vasquez, uh, inks in there by, uh, Vasquez and foreman, along with Joe Silver and Craig Young, uh, colors by Jordan Gibson, Rain Barreto and Andres Mosa letters throughout by Ferran Delgado and those covers, those friggin' oh, yeah. covers by Andrew so gorgeous. Robinson. So good. How much fun is it for you as a writer to, we'll get into the interior art, but just seeing like the sales pitch for your comic book come in, which is kind of what a, a cover is for in a lot of ways. It's like, this is how we sell it to people with a really kick-ass cover. How much fun is it to see these on these Daughters of the Dragon book? Oh, it was really exciting. This, um, the issue two cover was my favorite. because it was just like, it, you know, really encapsulated everything that I wanted to hit with this, you know, kind of grindhouse spy movie martial arts kind of stuff and it just you know all brought it together in such such an interesting exciting way and of course the third one you have uh, you know batrock and the speedo so that's pretty exciting too amazing i love it so much it makes me so happy big batrock fan here oh yeah i mean i love batrock jed what, what's your background prior to to comics where'd you come into it all from <laughs> So prior to comics, I was a teacher. So I was a teach high school or junior high, depending, you know, what was available. And I was teaching when I was writing this book. So I didn't quit teaching up till um, November of 2019. So 
through writing this, uh, through the good chunk of the first volume of Black Cat, Taskmaster, Man Without Fear, all that stuff. I was still teaching high school or junior high at that point in time. So it's kind of doing a lot, of, doing a lot of juggling. Did you ever have any students who like right, had seen your name in a book or recognized you, or do you have is Jed McKay your your superhero name? I mean, that is my name. Um, the students thought it was like kind of vaguely interesting as like a novelty, but for the most <laughs> part, they didn't really care about comics. They're like, you know, did you do anything in Fortnite? I'm like, no. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're they're less less impressed than uh, you might you know think at first. That's interesting that you you brought that up because I noticed that your dialogue tends to like even in Black Hat tends to lean younger or like feels very modern, very modern. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if that's because of like you know being around kids. I think it could be. When I do things, especially regarding dialogue, I like to have it be kind of you know, snappy and entertaining. But also, I generally try and avoid specific jargon that's too modern, as I don't want it to kind of like immediately date itself. Which, you know, there's kind of two, two schools of thought on that, whether you know, don't worry about dating yourself in the things that you write because you're just sort of shooting yourself in the foot. And then they'll obviously show like that issue of Superman where like Don Rickles was in it. But <laughs> I don't know. It's just like when you, when you hear like characters talk about like, yes, my favorite band is the Goo Goo Dolls. And you're like, hmm, not with that. So like most of my pop culture references are sort of on purpose 20 to 30 to 40 years out of date. I want a character in, in one of your upcoming books to say yeet. Think, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> yeet this villain off the roof. Is that a correct use of yeet, Jasmine? Yes, as the the, the resident young. <laughs> Turn 41 tomorrow. Crushed wow. it. Yeah, and also, you know, I just don't want to fall into the, uh, the kind of pitfall of, you know, I'm 38, trying to pull off language that was too, that was too young for me that I don't fully understand. And that is, uh, that becomes immediately mocked. So... I'm just kind of like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll avoid that uh, as much as I can, I think. Makes sense. Um, going back to the idea of your students, like, do stories come from that as well? Like, I mean, use that. sort of. It's just kind of like the general sort of nature or this general sort of attitude of kids you kind of pick up on. And you take the two, two runaway kids in um, Daughters in the first issue and then subsequent mm -hmm. issues, you know, People are saying, oh, they don't talk like real people. I'm like, well, so they're not real people. They're meant to be extremely obnoxious, you know, precocious children who think that they're following something or think that they're onto something. And mm -hmm. they never sound like people expected to sound. You know, they're, they're not supposed to sound like normal people. They're supposed to sound like weirdos, which they are. And, you know, I've <laughs> seen kids kind of consciously adopt these mannerisms or like take on these affectations. Because, you know, kids are always trying on different ways of being or trying on different identities because... They're still figuring it out with their kids. Maybe that will make them obnoxious a bit. But, you know, it's all the same things that all of us did when we were kids as well. Yeah. I was never obnoxious. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, the, <laughs> the kids, their dialogue, the banter between Misty and Colleen, um, which I, I love. I freaking loved it. I think you do a great job of weaving between the lines of very naturalistic, feels real dialogue between people who know each other very well or people who are connecting very closely immediately. And also that Tarantino-esque affectation and pitter-patter banter type of thing. And I, I was drawn in so much, again, even though I read this when it came out, it just felt 
so fun and i read i blazed through this because of um Same. because of the dialogue in a large part i mean i loved everything but man i just kept going why don't we have these two in a book right now with this vibe right like jed writing this right now because it just felt so it is it is kind of the thing that i want that that feeling of of fun and character interactions and building and like the references and like friendship yeah, the, the that beautiful friendship, the the ribbing about Sam Wilson throughout the book. Oh yeah, is is a hoot. or like getting married and adopting the children. Oh my god, like, <laughs> yes. I love that. Yeah, yeah, it's really fun. I mean, it was a treat when um, was last month and month before uh, Amazing Spider-Man seventy-eight dot bey came out. So I yeah dot Beyonce as we yeah, say here dot dot Beyonce yeah so yeah, Nick, yeah Nick brought me in to to write. A Daughters of the Dragon centric issue, so that was a lot of fun to kind of yeah. get back to those characters. Um, also, I noticed that, like, I mean, going back to the banter thing too. Like, I mean, we we always bring it up. I think on this show about X Factor eighty seven. Oh, the examinations issue. The the yes. w- where they talk to Doc Samson. Yes, and like one of the things um, I recently got to talk to Joe Casada, who drew that issue, and he talked about how when he got the script. For that he was just like oh cool like there's not a whole lot of action going on like there's just two characters sitting in a room talking to each other so he had to create these different types of yeah. actions and i noticed that that was something that was here like you have misty knight going through like you know some type of like airport security um while she's on the phone with with uh with colleen and stuff like that now, i'm curious was that something that you were aware of while you were writing were you like giving the artist uh actions well that kind of came from the um like the sort of paranoia or like imposter syndrome you get when you're doing your first books. Because I'm like, I need, there has to be something happening in every panel, you know, something, there has to be something interesting for the artist to draw, you know, there has to be something interesting for people to look at. So, you know, it opens up with Misty and Colleen having a conversation, but Colleen is having this conversation mid sword fight with, uh, you know, robot Japanese puppets. And similarly, we're setting up the scene of, Misty coming to eventually get Colleen or like help her out, which, you know, sets up the end of that first issue. But at the same time, you know, she's not there yet. And we're still working at it. And it's one of the kind of, like, I'm not too concerned about, you know, super realism and superhero comic books because it's often kind of a waste of time, but I am always entertained about the idea of various superheroes or villains, or whatever, trying to go through airport security. <laughs> where you know she's she's saying to the guys like look it's a robot arm i don't know what you want me to tell you and the guy's like looking at the rule book i loved that line it was so good and you know she's an fbi agent she she's probably got a little easier time than most but uh yeah it's just it's always an interesting question to me it's like how do these people get on airplanes it reminded me of during larry hama's run on wolverine back in the 90s he had a scene of wolverine and jubilee maybe psylocke going through airport security um and and you know wolverine is setting off the metal detector and he's just like he's like grumbling and being wolverine and like that whole scene that's what it reminded me of which i I, i'm with you i love that kind of stuff i love those connections and you mentioned this conversation starts the it's what opens the series but the opening image the first panel it is a page long panel um takes up half the page wide it is misty night in this mm, yeah. suit, listening some to some tunes, she's got her hair flowing. It is just 
it is one of my favorite opening images to a book in our reading club, you know, sort of re-examinations that we've seen in a while, just because it's so stunning. I just looked at it and went, damn, travel form and can draw a person like nobody's oh, yeah. business. Travel's in such, he takes stuff that should be normal and like makes it really interesting to look at, which is, you know, it's just kind of sounds like an artist's job in general, but it's something <laughs> he's, you know, extremely good at. You know, you look at, Later on in the issue when, you know, Misty and Colleen are in the sort of ninja gear, they're infiltrating the compound there. And just like the kind of pouches and harness setup that he's got in their, you know, various, because I think it's really like, they're in like ninja outfits basically to, to sneak in and just makes them like really interesting looking. And it's, you know, it's wild. Something like that where you just see uh, Misty in her uh, FBI agent outfit. It's just, it, you know, places you right there and it tells you everything you need to know in such an efficient way speaking of that like i think the other thing too that i find really interesting is that like a lot of the times writers try to come up with these insanely elaborate like ways of accomplishing a goal but like a lot of the times you always hear like the simplest answer is usually the the correct one and like I, there's so many moments like that that i love ultimately i can try to be really clever and come up with you know exciting visual things for to do but i mean nine times out of ten when you're working with the artists that i'm working with what they're going to come up with is leagues better than what I think I'm coming up with. So, you know, I try to give people as much information as they need to succeed in you know, our collaboration, but I also try to give people, you know, give the artists I work with as much freedom to do what they want as you can, because it's going to be more interesting, and exciting for them. And it's ultimately going to be more, a more interesting and exciting product for the reader. I mean, Juan is so good. Ugh. Oh, it's amazing. There's another shot in, in Daughters of the Dragon, I think it's number one, where um, when Colleen first meets this big bad, and there's the, the almost half-page panel of them shaking hands. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Where yes. She's got the yes. spirit. The, she, yeah, the, she yeah, sees, the, yeah, the warrior spirit kind of thing going on. It's rad as hell. How much, what was the in the script? How, how much did you depict of that? I was curious. Uh, no, that was, that, was, that was basically in the script because mm. we're really kind of playing in this sort of kind of grindhouse samurai sort of thing where we're talking, you know, banding about all these various sort of manga concepts like, you know, warrior spirit and stuff like that. And I thought it'd be fun to do like a real sort of manga style um, confrontation of these two characters where you, on the surface, it's just shaking hands, but you can see like they have their, uh, their, their roiling warrior vigor right, is sort of like feeling each other out uh, in the background, but yeah, I know travel did a great job on that page. It's really exciting. Yeah. Like, what do you think was the biggest challenge of this series for you? Uh, the biggest challenge for me was probably also the biggest lesson I learned. I didn't have a good grip on how many panels should go on a page. Uh, like it's a very, it's a very simple thing, but you know, I would send it into Nick and he'd be like, there's an average of seven panels on the page here. It's like, what, what are you an idiot? Are you trying to kill the artist? Are you trying to get, get him to quit? <laughs> and I was like, Oh, right. Yeah, sure. Uh, and like ever since, every time I read a comic, I always count the panels on a page to see how it's done. Because I mean, going into this, I think I was reading a lot of the uh, the David uh, Hawkeye stuff, and he's always got all these tiny little panels here and there. So I was like, yeah, I mean, people like small panels, that's fine. But that, that always doesn't work for everybody. Uh, so you know, my first pass and my first script, first two scripts, I was really, I really had to go down and grind down a lot of the, the panel space. And even now, looking at it. There's some like, oof, wow, seven panels? Okay. That was a big ask on that one. So um, 
yeah, that's, that was kind of one of my biggest lessons learned how to holistically imagine what the final product is going to look like and how it's going to work. And, you know, always be aware of what sort of demands you're putting on your collaborators when you're writing something. Cause it's very easy for me to write a page that says blah, 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 blah. I'm not the one that has to draw it. Into the second arc where it's the, um, the Hydra shield vibes of it all, which is a lot mm-hmm. of fun. Um, I love winter and I, I had kind of forgotten about what happened with winter and, so getting that sense of the big climax of the daughters and winner sort of back and forth on the, in Hollywood on the sign. And, and of course, then he's like, the sign. It, of course, why wouldn't it be? <laughs> it's great. And, and, and I like that he's leaning into, he's like, this is how it has to end for me. This is yeah. what it is. And, and that, that decision to no, he, yeah, this guy is awful, but he's awful because he's been built to be awful. Let's yeah. try to help him. I love that moment. I thought it, it added so much humanity to the book, which is great because these characters are so, they are really good. Yeah. And like it kind of, it underscores that difference between them and Fury and that, you know, the daughters aren't spies. They're, they, you know, they may not be superheroes, but they're not, you know, the shades of gray, uh, you know, complete the objective at any cost sort of types, you know? And yeah. um, I think that's, I think that's kind of an important distinction given that, their quote unquote superpowers are cutting people with swords and shooting people with guns. Was this your first time writing Taskmaster? Uh, yeah. It feels like you just have fun with him. Like he's just a fun yeah. character to play around with and, and bounce off of, especially when you have Fury just calling him Tony. Yeah. <laughs> that vibe is always, it's a hoot. Yeah. I mean, I love, I love Taskmaster and I was very, very pleased to do a Taskmaster series because yeah, Chris had emailed me saying, Hey, do you want to do a Taskmaster series? this is basically all the stuff that has to happen in it. I'm like, sure, but I'm also going to put Nick Fury in because I think they're a fantastic odd couple of like, you know, two guys who basically hate each other, but kind of need each other. So that uh, the, the seeds were planted there in Daughters for Taskmaster the series. Uh, at the beginning of this, we talked a bit more about the uh, third arc with the on the boat and just pulling in, as the title of the book will tell you, a bunch of deep cuts <laughs> to, to pepper into this. It's... Um, it's a whole lot of fun out of the, especially the villain characters um, or the, the ancillary people who show up. Are there any ones you want to get your hands back on, you know, in other projects? Obviously you've got the daughters already. Yeah. And, you know, you touch them a bit. I mean, I, they're all characters. They're, I mean, they're mostly like, I don't like shadow stalker. I don't really care about that much. I just like to have them in the book. Uh, you know, I like that he has a morning star he wears in his hair. <laughs> it's a wild look it's incredible it's very it's very much a choice it's uh it's very much a look and i don't think anyone can really give many notes on it as someone who has long <laughs> hair and like turns their head and always gets whacked by their yeah. own hair in the face like i can only imagine what they go through on a daily it's just basis. it's just you know in that you know period of time and through like the uh you know when it was coming out they're just kind of pulling on all kinds of wacky kung fu uh stuff and uh you know, you look at Razor Fist or a guy who's got, he can't put on his own clothes. (laughs) I don't know how he gets those thigh high boots on, but he's sure not doing it with his knife hands. Slides right into them. He probably just, yeah, just jumps right into them. Yes, exactly. Um, But yeah, like all the characters I like a lot, you know, Batrock, I use when I can, brought him in for a a one-off in Black Cat. Cat, Cat's one of those characters that I think is almost like too good to use. Like it worked fine as like a guest star here, but he was, that was like one of my favorite master of Kung Fu issues is that, you know, first time Shang-Chi and Kat meet up 
it's such a good piece of work and like the art is so amazing like the opening spread with all the cats if i want to use this guy again it's got to be really good because he's a really cool character and has not had a lot of appearances and mm. i kind of you know, don't want to be the guy who messes it up that said my little baby there rutherford winter you know we may be seeing him again yeah yes. hell yeah can i put in a request for also carlos and ren to show back up for some <laughs> reason somewhere because they're just so they're fun so I, I was actually playing with it um back when we were doing infinite destinies uh, i had to come up with uh, a new actually also with travel format for adventures annual um i had to come up with a new infinity stone character so i came came up with uh, ward the, the soul stone bearers called multitude talking to nick i was like but what if what if we brought back carlos and ren and gave them the soul stone and the mind stone it'd be like a whole thing he's like yeah stick with the robot stick with the robot i'm like okay fair enough fair enough (laughs) (laughs) i i I think going going with ward was the better idea but you know carlos and ren are still in the back of my head i'm like well i wonder when i could bring those two crazy kids back into something jed 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 i'm glad we finally got you on the show what books can we point people to that are coming up it feels like you've got You've always got a million and a half projects in the hopper, and I never know what we can talk about at any given time, but uh, you tell us. Yeah, so we've got uh, Moon Knight is currently ongoing. Um, oh, Death of Doctor Strange finishing up this yeah. month as well. And uh, then in March, we have Strange Number One, where we see uh, Clea as the resident of Bleecker Street. I'm so excited for that. I love Clea, and like knowing that you're behind that is... Uh... So excited yeah, for it. It's it's a lot of fun. I wrote Strange Number Three the day before yesterday. I'm very pleased with that. I'm like, if they won't let me, if they cancel my book with one white-haired lady character, we'll I'll have a book with another white-haired lady character. <laughs> <laughs> Jed, thanks a ton. Hopefully we'll have you back on. Yeah, soon. thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. It's been great. All right. Thank you very much to Jen McKay for coming on the show. Consistently one of our favorite writers and yes. doing some really great work. Um, and I'm very glad. I hope more people get to read this this series uh, after hearing us talk about it. Hell yeah. It took way too much self-control to not turn this into a black cat chat uh, because that's all I wanted to talk to him about. I mean, come on. That black cat book was ugh. as one complete thing. One of my favorite books for the last couple of years. All right, before we go any further, we've got a great email in here, which, of course, was sent to pulllist at marvel.com. That's P-U-3-L-S-I-S-T at marvel.com. You can send them there. You can use the hashtag Marvel's Pull List on the Twitter. And, of course, always let us know it is okay to read on the show. Just like uh, this letter came in from Dakota Cross, who said, I just finished the most recent episode of Marvel's Pull List with the X-Force boys. Uh, they write boys with an S, but really it's boys with a Z. Like I, B-O-I-Z, boys. Ooh, I like that even more. Continuing it, the letter says, it was a great episode that made a light bulb go off in my head. After hearing Ben Percy read an excerpt from the 10 Lives of Wolverine number one, I am now wondering why we don't have audio versions of his comics. He clearly has the best voice in comics, and since his voice goes so perfectly with the character he is writing, I feel this is a must. I will pay many monies to have Ben read his epic words aloud. Also, a quick shout out to my LCS, Comics Are Go in Sheffield, Ohio. Yeah, thank you for the wonderful email, Dakota. Um... Yeah, where do where do we begin on that one, Jazz? Um, well, I will also pay all the monies to hear Ben Percy read all of his comics. I mean, you would probably get if we ever did that. You would be getting paid monies to probably help put that into work. That's okay. I will pay monies to listen to it as well. 
all right, we have to we have to talk about how this functions. You need to save your money for the things that you're getting paid money for. That's true. I already I already spent enough money on comics. You spent so much money on Marvel comics. It's great. Um, I love this idea, but uh, I think I, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say Ben is rather busy. He is. He's got comics, novels, screenplays, and other stuff. He does write podcasts though. And, and oh yeah, and of course the the audio stuff that he's done for us. I mean, dude's hella busy. But if he wants to do some VO work and and really read some comics, we'll find time. What Dakota doesn't know is that like we tried, we tried to get him to read the full issue of X Lives of Wolverine, and Ben was just he was not. It was a no go. He wants people to buy it apparently. Ugh. Ugh. So annoying. Yeah. Also, how would like the artwork through a podcast? Well, I guess it would really have to boil down to Ben reading his script and so reading the description. So it's more like he's reading the audiobook, you know? Okay. What if Joshua Kassara mm-hmm. describes the scenes? Like he does all this, the setup and the scenes, and then we have Ben Percy doing the actual dialogue. I'm into it. All right. All right. It's up to you to make this proof of concept real life. All right. I'll go pitch it. Thanks, Jazz. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos and Jasmine Estrada. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is Marvel's Pulis Audio Development Manager. And he, you know, for the longest time, he was trying to get a cool Morlock nickname like Chicken Wings mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. Mask with a Q. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just got Birdfoot for a while. And like, that was it. Well, you know, the actual origin to that is he was diagnosed with Birdfoot. I don't know what that means. I think he has bird feet. I'm just going to put it out there. Brad Barton, you got bird feet. I'm Ryan. I'm Jasmine. And this is Marvel. Your universe.